Progress. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to DPP, a.k.a. Daily Power Parsha, time of day in which we try to throw out acronyms, let everyone guess what we're talking about. So this is our daily look at the section of the Parsha, the section of the Torah portion that is relevant for today. So today is Wednesday, which means that we are going to do the fourth of our double reading, Matot and Mase which is always, you should know, whenever there's a double reading, and I've said this before, reading number four is always the one that is the bridge between the two portions. It has the, the last part of the first of the two portions and the first part of the second of the two portions, and it kind of crosses over through, and I'll, I'll point out the seam as we do it. Although we'll, we'll try to have a seamless experience, nonetheless, I will point out when, where the crossover happens. Um, Sandrine, it looks very Parisian behind you. I'm kidding. I don't know if it does, but it looks beautiful. I like the, uh, the foliage. Oh, there you go. Paris. Beautiful. Kind of a modern area of Paris, actually. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, today we went to the, the classic, the Eiffel Tower. Oh, wow. Nice. Um, I can see the Louvre uh, from over there. Opera. Yeah, so <laughs> Lena, you know my daughter, she skateboards, so she's been having a good time, like doing, you know, skateboard uh, trick kicks nice. in front of the Eiffel Tower, in front of the Louvre. <laughs> I, I hope I hope it was TikTok or Instagram because without that, it doesn't, it didn't happen. So that's the uh, way. I'm, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure she put it somewhere. Good, good, good. All right, let's jump in. I'm going to share my screen and let us. Do we enter Israel today, Rabbi? No, 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 no. We don't enter Israel at all in the five books. Really? It happens in the book of Joshua. The Torah ends. I, I hate to give the ending away. I'm kidding. The Torah ends with the Jews at the border and Moses dies. And that's it. That's how the Torah ends. It's only in the next book, I mean the next, you know, section of the larger thing that we call Torah that we have the book of uh, Joshua, and Joshua leads the people into the promised land. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a cliffhanger, as they say. Okay, so let's jump in now to the Torah portion. This is reading number four, Matot Mase. You see it right here. And we begin with Numbers chapter 32. Oh, oh, I meant to say something for yesterday. I pointed this out at the beginning of the class. I like to drop like clues, you know, sometimes before I before I uh, tell you what it what it means. I told you yesterday that we were beginning chapter thirty-two, which is the heart of the book of Numbers, because lev heart, the Hebrew word for heart, which is lev, is lamed bet, which is the numerology of thirty-two. So thirty-two is always associated with the heart. So, and I explained yesterday that the request of the tribes of Reuben and God to get the land outside of Israel to the eastern side of the Jordan River was essentially a ruse. Well, I mean, they said they wanted it for their cattle. That wasn't true. They wanted it to not abandon Moses because they knew Moses would be buried there and they wanted to stay there. And so most of, of, of any theme in the story, the most prominent theme, which you have to know the commentaries to know this theme or know certain commentaries, the, the biggest theme of the story is love. And hence, in my opinion, I haven't seen this necessarily anywhere, but Lev, the heart of Numbers, is about the love between a people and its leader. Here we go, verse number 20, 
So in response to the people, the two tribes saying, give us this land, Moses pushed back hard. He said, it's not right that you're not going to fight with everyone else. And number two, you're going you're gonna, to um, uh, dissuade. What's the word that it used? You're going to... Um, um, discourage. Discourage. Thank you. You're going to discourage everyone else from going. So, God, so the, the tribes came back and said, listen, it's not our intention. We're going to go in. We're just going to settle everyone here. Then we're going to go straight into battle. We're going to go in the front lines. Nothing to worry about. We're not backing out, so we're not going to discourage anybody. We're not going to, you know, um, bow out of the, of the operation, of the, of the situation. We're all in. So Moses replies to them, verse 20, this is where we're up to. Moses said to them, if you do this thing, in other words, if you arm yourselves for battle before the Lord, if you indeed, if you keep what you just said, and your armed forces crosses the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies before him. In other words, if you gather an army and you actually engage in the battles and the land will be conquered before the Lord, right? So when everything plays out, so you collect an army, you go to the front lines or whatever into battle and there is victory, then afterwards Moses tells them you may return and you shall be freed of your obligation from the Lord and from Israel, and this land will become your heritage before the Lord. So basically, this is Moses saying, you got a deal. If that's what you're promising, if you're promising to fight and not discourage, and, you know, all the stuff that you just told me, then deal. Get an army, go into battle, be victorious, and then you can return, and you're, no obligations. In other words... Freedom of obligation means then I have no more, there's no more tightness, like we'd say in, in Hebrew Yiddish. Like no, no more, no accusations, no claims, no issues, no, no bad blood. It's all good. In other words, if you do this, you're good. Um, and your land, oh, look at this. Pursuant to what Donna mentioned yesterday, this land, in other words, this outside of Israel land will become your heritage before the Lord. Again, it's kind of, I didn't look it up, but it's kind of like a hybrid between not Israel, but also your heritage before the Lord. So it has some measure of holiness. Okay. Next. Oh, but Moses, ever the clarifier. You know, you need to clarify both ways. If you do this, fine. But you can't leave it hanging. Unspecified. Verse 23. Moses says the other way. But if you do not do so. If you tell me now that you're going to do it, but then I pass away and then you don't do it, behold, you will have sinned against the Lord and be aware of your sin, which will find you. Okay, that's kind of ominous. Basically, what Moses is saying is, if you renege on your promise, if you ditch on your obligations, if you bail on your responsibility, then it's a sin and the sin will find you. It's going to come back to you. You want to call it karma or consequences. It doesn't make a difference. These are all terms. The bottom line is, it ain't going to be good. Chana, welcome. Oh, we have Chana, and we have also Matt is joining us. Matt, welcome. It's great to have you. Hey, good to see you. Matt, we usually like the outdoors, but we'll let it go this time. Just going to say, we'll let it go. <laughs> All right. Back to our story, verse 24. So Moses says, assuming that you're going to do what you promised, 
So build yourself cities for your children and enclosures for your sheep. Look how Moses switches around the order. Do you remember yesterday when they were telling Moses, like, no big deal, we're going to go into battle. The only thing we're going to do first is build enclosures for our sheep and cities for our children. Moses says, I agree. If you do this, then you can do that, but make sure it's cities for your children first and enclosures for your sheep. That's what Rashi pointed out. We studied that yesterday. Put the kids before the cattle. Always put the family in front of other sorts of things because at the end of the day, it's our relationships that are more valuable, more precious than gold. And let's continue what has proceeded from your mouth, you shall do. So build the cities, build the enclosures, and what you have promised you shall do, which is essentially go to battle with the rest of the tribes. Okay, that's Moses' response. Now, the, the tribes respond, the two tribes. The descendants of God and the descendants of Reuben spoke to Moses saying, your servants will do as my master commands. In other words, agreed. Our children and our wives, our livestock and our cattle will remain there in the cities of Gilead. Oh, so they learned their lesson. They put the family before the stuff. Good, okay, so good. They're good students. Moses corrected them and they got it. Baruch Hashem. So the children, the wives, the livestock and cattle will remain there in the cities of Gilead, which are actually right where they were, basically, in the other side of the Jordan, outside of Israel. But your servants, in other words, we will cross over all who are armed for combat before the Lord for the battle, as my master has spoken. All right, we got a deal. So we'll keep the family and the possessions here. We'll go into battle and all will be good. Verse 28. Here we go, verse 28. Moses, now again, you see everything is being buttoned up. Nothing is left, you know, kind of like vague. Moses clarifies. Look at this. Moses commanded Elazar the Kohen and Joshua the son of Nun. Elazar the Kohen is the high priest, son of Aaron. Joshua will be the future leader instead of Moses. So Moses commands Elazar the high priest and Joshua the leader, the future leader, and all the paternal heads of the tribes of the children of Israel concerning them. In other words, Moses says, hey, y'all be in charge of making sure these two tribes fulfill their pledge. Moses said to them, Elazar, Joshua, and the, and, the, and the heads of the tribes, if the descendants of God and Reuben cross the Jordan with you armed for battle before the Lord, and the land is conquered before you, then, I'm adding the word then, you shall give them a land of Gilead, the land of Gilead as a heritage. In other words, if they do what they promised, then let them take this land east of the Jordan. But if they do not cross over with you, right? The big word there is not. If they do not cross over with you armed for battle, they shall receive a possession among you in the land of Canaan. You pull away the land. I know it's kind of weird, right? If they don't go with you in battle, then... Uproot, it doesn't say this, but I mean, the implication is tell them they can't stay where they are. They have to come into Israel, which they didn't help conquer. A deal is a deal. The deal is you get this land if you, conquer, if you help conquer Israel. If you don't help conquer Israel, then you don't get that land. The descendants of God in the sense of Reuben answered once again, saying, We shall do as the Lord has spoken to your servants. We shall cross over in an armed force before the Lord to the land of Canaan. And then we shall have the possession of our inheritance on this side of the Jordan. I believe that is the third time that they stated their intention clearly that we're going to go into battle. And then 
settle this land out of Israel. Verse 33. Story's not done yet. It's just back and forth and back and forth. Moses gave the descendants of God in the sense of Reuben and half the tribe of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. Moses added a half a tribe. You see this? Moses added the descendants of God and Reuben asked for it. But Moses also gave this land out of Israel, east of the Jordan, to half the tribe of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. Why? I'm going to tell you in a moment. The kingdom, so what did he give them? What did he give these two and a half tribes? He gave them, by the way, great name for a sitcom, two and a half tribes. That was a joke. Um, what did he give them? He gave them the kingdom of Sichon, king of the Amorites, who the Jews had defeated in battle. Uh, we did that a few portions ago. And he gave them the kingdom of Og, king of Bashan. That was the giant that Moses slew in battle. Again, from a few weeks back. Um, he gave them those kingdoms, the land together with its cities, within borders, the cities of the surrounding territory. And he gave them the land. The descendants of God built the following cities. Dibon, Atarot, and Aroer, and Atrot, Shofan, and Yazer, and Yogbaha. I'm, I'm referencing the Hebrew so I can give you the actual original names. And Beit Nimra, and Beit Haran, fortified cities, and sheepfolds. I'm assuming that's not a typo at this point. Sheep folds. Pens where you keep sheep. Gidro is time. The descendants of Reuben. So that was the sense of God. So they, because that's these are the cities that they built. Look at, look at all that stuff. Now the descendants of Reuben built the following cities. They built Cheshbon, El Ale, and Kiryatayim. Look at that. It's got a J in there. In Hebrew, it's easier. It's Kiryatayim. And Nebo and Baal Me'on, their names have been changed. Well, well, well there you go. Don't, don't bother looking it up because the names have been changed. Maybe it's protecting the innocent or, you know, copyright issues. But the names have been changed. And Sibma. And they were called with the names of the names of the cities they built. The children, now, what about half of Manasseh, right? Remember Moses added a tribe? Half the tribe of Manasseh? Right? Okay, so what, what did they get? The children of Macha, the son of Manasseh, went to Gilead and conquered it, driving out the Amorites who were there. So Moses gave Gilead to Macha, the son of Manasseh, and he settled in it. Yair, the son of Manasseh, went and conquered their hamlets and called them the hamlets of Yair. Chavot Yair. Noba went and conquered Kenat and its surrounding villages, and he called it Noba. Oh, it's Novach. All right. Novach. It's a hard H. It's not a H, it's a H. Novach went, Novach went and conquered Kenat and its surrounding villages and called it, and called it Novach after his name. And that ends the first of the two portions. The seam is right over here. Numbers chapter 33. Okay, so what did we just read? We just read that after all the negotiations, the bottom line is, Two and a half tribes got that land east of the Jordan, pending their... Oh, what is a hamlet? Oh, that's a good question. Um, an amlet... A ham... Did I say amlet? No, a hamlet is a, um, a small town, I believe. Right? Can anybody corroborate that? A hamlet is like a small town? 
It's also a play. I'm not wrong here. Hamlet. Okay, we're going to look this up. I believe Hamlet is like, I got my phone out. I'm not afraid to Google Hamlet. Let's see what we got. Hamlet. Hamlet Town. Let's do the Hamlet Village. What is the difference between a hamlet and a village? A hamlet, just so you know, a hamlet is always part of a larger municipality or may be shared between two municipalities. The difference between a hamlet and a village is that a, typically a hamlet lacks a compact core settlement and lacks a central building such as a church or inn. No shoals in a hamlet, my friends. That's the definition of a hamlet. Now you know. But it's a small town, essentially. Now, let's get back to our story. The question is, the question that we have, I mean, it's fairly straightforward. I mean, there's, it's a story. We got the story. We spoke about deeper themes. Okay, now I want to show you a few things. Let's show you some grammatical Rashi's here. Um, okay, okay, okay. Give me a second. Rashi does not explain why half the tribe of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, got thrown in. Right? Why? Only two tribes asked for it. Why did Moses kind of unilaterally, I'm just going to go back to this without Rashi, why did Moses unilaterally in verse 33 give this part of the land also to half the tribe of Manasseh? That's question number one. I'm going to ask you question number two. I'm not afraid to ask questions. The second question is, why does it say that Manasseh is the son of Joseph? If we've been paying attention to the Bible at all, we know from the book of Genesis that Manasseh is the son of Joseph. He's the oldest son, in fact, of Joseph. And he was one of the two tribes that was split from Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim, and that makes the 12 tribes minus the tribe of Levi, who's not counted when it comes to military and settlement, uh, settling uh, counts or whatever. So question is, number one, why does he give the land to Manasseh, or half the tribe of Manasseh, and why does he give, why, and why does the Torah say that who's Manasseh, the son of Joseph? The answer, my friends, is powerful. There's a difference. Uh, you know, I'm thinking how to present this a few different ways. Okay, let me just tell it to you like this. There's one thing we know about Joseph. That although he was hated by his brothers, sold as a slave, went down to Egypt, framed for a crime he didn't commit, thrown in prison in Egypt, ultimately rag, riches to rags to riches, I guess, or rags to riches, at least in Egypt, becomes viceroy and the man in charge of the economy. One thing we know about Joseph all the way through this is that Joseph is forever a lover of the promised land. How do I know this? How do I know this? It's simple. I know this because the Torah tells us that wherever he went, he was called an Ivri. You know what an Ivri means? Who knows what Ivri means? Hebrew, isn't it? A Hebrew. Ivri is Hebrew. The first time we find the name Ivri, well, we find it re re reference to Avram to Abraham. Avram Ivri, Abraham the Hebrew. We find it with Joseph. Joseph is known as the Hebrew. What does it mean, Hebrew? Hebrew means... He was associated with the other land. Ivri means the other side or the other land. He was in Egypt. He was a slave. 
Then he was a prisoner and he was always known as the Ivri. He was known as a Hebrew. He wore his nationhood, he wore his nationality, he wore his roots, he wore his heritage on his sleeve. It was clear. They lo he loved Israel and that's it. Moreover, we know what Joseph did. This is about Joseph, the father of Manasseh. We know that before he passed away, of course, Joseph told his family, bury me in Egypt, but when you leave, take my remains with you out of Egypt up to the Promised Land. And for the 40 years of wandering the desert, they had the remains of Joseph with them the entire time to move to Israel. Which tells us one thing. And you might... Okay, which tells us one thing. Joseph was a lover of Israel. He was obsessed with Israel. It, it, when you met him, you knew, you knew immediately who he was and what, we, what he was about. That's what he was into. Sometimes I've, I've mentioned the contrast with Moses. Moses is the greatest Jewish leader of all time, notwithstanding that. When Moses runs away, he's referred to by people that see him as the Egyptian guy. I know Moses wasn't born in Israel, unlike Joseph, who was born in... Well, Joseph wasn't born either in, in, in Israel. Um, Joseph was born in, uh, by, by Laban, in, in um, uh, wherever Laban was, but it's escaping me right now. But the point is that Moses didn't live in Israel. Nonetheless, when he was running away from Pharaoh, who Pharaoh at some point wanted to kill him after he, Moses killed the Egyptian, so he encounters his soon-to-be uh, wife, his, his Tzipporah, by the well, she tells her father, oh, uh, he father says, how did you get the water so fast? Oh, an Egyptian guy helped us out. Egyptian guy is Moses. He looked like an Egyptian. Or he, the, the, when you saw him, somehow they got the impression he was an Egyptian. Not a Jew, not a Hebrew. Joseph, wherever he was, Ivri. He was a Hebrew from, from Israel, from, or at least from, from that part of the, of the world. So here's my point in saying all of this. Who is Moses giving to chaperone, are you with me? To chaperone the two tribes that requested the land outside of Israel? Who's the chaperone? Someone from the tribe of Joseph. Because the Josephites, or in this case specifically Manasseh, one, the eldest son of Joseph, that tribe is going to make sure that they go into battle with their brothers to conquer Israel. They're not going to stay behind. Does that make sense what I'm saying? I'm giving you a psychological and maybe even deeper than that understanding of this. So the core question is, two tribes, Reuben and God, asked for this land. There's a whole deal worked out. You only get this land if you first go into battle and conquer the land of Israel, and then you can come back. Moses says, all right, so who's going to take this land? Reuben, God, and half of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. We know who he is. No, 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 because it's not Manasseh. It's because of Joseph. Manasseh is the son of Joseph, and Joseph was all about the promised land. So if we have half of Manasseh, then I feel, says Moses, more comfortable with this deal. I feel more comfortable that you have a, someone who's going to make sure, someone in your group that will definitely make sure to, uh, to fulfill the pledge of con fighting for and conquering the land of Israel. Does that make sense, what I just said? Rabbi, yes, Donna. Yeah, I think um, that kind of makes me feel like going from our conversation yesterday, that we can look at the land, you know, when they don't go into Israel, as a kind of mini diaspora. So Moses wants the people that are really going to maintain the Jewish presence 
in the diaspora. I love that. And if I can add on, and maybe this is exactly what you're saying, what's the message? That in the diaspora, we should never become too comfortable. In other words, there should always be a yearning for the promised land, right? Whatever that means. In this context, you know, today it would be for Mashiach and the temple and the return and everything and all that stuff. The return, I don't know, it sounds so official. But I mean, you know, Kibbutz Goliath, the return of the exiles, etc., as we've spoken about numerous times in various courses, including the last few courses that we've done, um, JLI and now the Resurrection series. What's the point? The point is that Menashe, half of Menashe from the, the, the son of Joseph, they're the ones that teach us how to be in exile. By the way, this is a common, we can apply this to our own lives also. One thing that Kabbalah and Hasidic philosophy emphasize is that the transformation that happens, happens when we engage in the world. It's not when we float away and meditate and, uh, and whatever and become holy, tr like what traditionally is called holy, but it's when we put our heads down to the ground, we work hard, and we, you know, but we act like a mensch, that's when, that's when the transformation happens. So imagine a person says, okay, so then work is holy. Perfect. I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to study Torah. I don't need to do any of the mitzvot because work is where the transformation happens. But they're missing the. the, the but that that is misguided. Why? Because transformation only happens when, while doing the work, you're yearning for a spiritual experience. But you know that you have to do this because it's part of that. But it only works if you have that longing for something higher, that pull for something beyond. It's that yearning, that pull, that keeps the, 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 the mundane elevated. But if it's like, oh, the mundane is holy, perfect, and you dive in, right then it's not going to be a holy experience. It's just going to be a lowly, a mundane experience. So it only works when you have your eyes almost pointed upward, even as your feet are firmly planted on the ground. By the way, that's what it says. It says when we daven, when we pray, our feet should be on the ground and our heads turned up. And it's not only praying, but it means just the modality of being is, I know I'm here and I have a lot of work to do, but I'm still yearning also for something greater. And this is kind of what it is, right? So you're in the diaspora or in mini diaspora, but you're yearning for the promised land that keeps the gullus, that keeps the diaspora kosher. Okay, back inside because we have a bunch to jump in on in the second of our two portions that begins right now. Numbers chapter 33. Second portion is Mase. If you want to know what that looks like in the Hebrew, there you have it. Ela Mase. These are the Mase. Mase are travels. Here we let's do this or journeys. Um, okay, verse 133. These are the journeys of the children of Israel who left the land of Egypt in their legions under the charge of Moses and Aaron. This is, this is going to be the final, this is the final Torah portion of the book of Numbers. And right here in the beginning of this Torah portion, the Torah kind of goes back and recalls all of the journeys over the last 40 years that brought them to this place at the border, right by the land of Israel, where they will ultimately enter. How do we get here? A retrospective. These are the journeys. They left Egypt under Moses and Aaron. Remember the good old days? Let's do this. Moses recorded their starting points for their journeys according to the word of the Lord, and these were the journeys with their starting points. Buckle up. We're about to hear all the names of the places 
that they journeyed. They journeyed or from. They journeyed from Ramses. Ramses. Ramses, maybe in English. Ramses in Hebrew. That was a place in Egypt. In Egypt. They journeyed from Ramses in the first month. On the 15th day of the month, we call that Passover. On the day following the Passover sacrifice, the Passover sacrifice is always brought the day before Passover officially begins or the afternoon before the evening holiday begins. The children of Israel left triumphantly before the eyes of the Egyptians. This is not the journey. This is just, you know, once we're talking about the Exodus as journey number one, we have to embellish it, not embellish it and like exaggerate, but we have to like give a little bit of, you know, by the way, it was triumphant and it was amazing and they saw it. It was before the eyes of the Egyptians. We busted out of Dodge. Let's continue. Verse 4, And the Egyptians were busy burying because the Lord had struck down their firstborn and had wrought vengeance against their deities. Okay, here we go. Back to their journeys. The children of Israel journeyed from Ramses and camped in Sukkot. They journeyed from Sukkot and camped in Etam at the edge of the desert. They journeyed from Etam and camped in Pihachirot, which faces Baal And they camped in front of Migdal. They journeyed from Pihachirot and crossed in the midst of the sea to the desert. Okay, so this is the crossing of the sea. That happens right here in verse number 8. They walked for three days in the desert of Etam and camped in Marah. They journeyed from Mara. Oh, Mara was where they were complaining about the water. Remember? Oh, there's no water. The water is bitter. All right, whatever. That was like in the book of Exodus, like two books ago. They journeyed from Mara and arrived in Elam. And in Elam, there were 12 springs of water. Well, there you go. That, that solves the problem. Just keep on moving. You'll get water. And 70 palm trees. And they camped there. Oh, these numbers are cool. Talk about significant numbers. 12 springs of water. Well, what do we know that has 12? What comes in 12s? Help me out here, guys. What comes in 12s? The sons, the sons of... 12 tribes. Yeah. You know why? Every tribe had its own spring of water. 12 springs of water for the 12 tribes. Not that they were like, ooh, I'm not going to drink from your water. You guys have gut germs. No, that's not exactly what was going on. Although maybe, no. It was that, you know, water represents also wisdom, also represents Torah. Every tribe has its path. Every tribe has its own flavor. And that's, that's a good thing. Um, and 70 palm trees, 70 is a special number, right? Number one, first and foremost, 70 facets of Torah and jewelry. But also 70, 70 palm trees is significant, significantly um, corresponding to the 70 elders, the 70 senior wise people amongst the Jewish people that would give guidance, that helped Moses, etc. They were likened to palm trees. This is also significant um, Mark, did I welcome you, or did I just... No, okay. Mark, welcome. I meant to welcome you. Uh, my apologies for not welcome. Who does that? Apparently me. Mark, welcome. It is great to have you. It's great to see you. So there's 70... Uh, by the, way, by yeah. the way, one thing. Yeah. Uh, the, very, the very first passage. Where have you heard this before? These are the journeys of the children of Israel. These are the journeys of the Starship Enterprise. Oh. Yeah. Oh. There you go. And Rashi actually points out the conceptual connection between Star Trek and, um, and uh, that's a joke. Rashi lived a thousand years. Yeah, Rashi lived 900 years ago. There was no Star Trek then. All right, back to our story. 70 palm trees are the 70 elders that are likened to palm trees. Why palm tree? It may not be the tallest tree, but it gives fruit. 
It's a day palm tree. It gives fruit. And that symbolizes the greatest type of tzaddik is someone not who rises in their own spirituality, but maybe doesn't grow as tall, but gives fruit to help others. Let's continue a little bit of an insight as we go through the journeys. Let's continue. Rabbi, yeah. Me, you said, just for the water, uh, you said springs of water. It's two things, wisdom, and I didn't catch the other thing you said. I think I said Torah. Torah? Okay. Yeah. But what other wisdom is there other than Torah? Right? Everything else is just like, eh, not as good. It's like, this is the real good stuff. This is smart water, right? If there's water and smart water, uh, yeah, I'm not... Uh, this, this is not sponsored by, um, by them. Let's continue verse 10. They journeyed from Elim and camped by the Red Sea. I don't know. Red Sea, Reed Sea, Sea of Reeds. I don't think it's red. I think it's reeds, right? Suf means reeds. Let's continue. Yam Suf, Sea of Reeds. They journeyed from the Red Sea and camped in the desert of Sin. No, that's not an English word. That was just the name of it. They journeyed from the desert of Sin and camped in Dovka. I like the PH. Very sophisticated. All right, they journeyed from Dafka and camped in Alush. They journeyed from Alush and camped in Rafidim. Ah, crisis, but there was no water for the people to drink. Well, they solved that. Um, I believe that's when they Moses first hit the rock, when he was supposed to hit the rock, but the first instance that he hit the rock, 40, at the beginning of the 40 years. They journeyed from Rafidim and camped in the Sinai Desert. Well, you know what happened there. That's a big journey. That's when they got the Torah. They journeyed from the Sinai Desert and camped in Kivrod Hataiva. That's where they wanted to meet. They journeyed from Kivrod Hataiva. Remember that? They wanted meat and God sent the quails and then God struck them down for wanting meat and eating the quails. That whole thing. All right, whatever. They left. They journeyed from Kivrod Hataiva and camped in Chatserot. They journeyed from Chatserot and camped in Ritma. They journeyed from Ritma and camped in Rimon Peretz. They journeyed from Rimon Peretz and camped in Libna. They journeyed from Libna. Sorry. They journeyed from Libna and camped in Risa. They journeyed from Risa and camped in Kehelasa, Kehelata. They journeyed from Kehelata and camped in Mount Shefer, or Shafer. They journeyed from Mount Shafer and camped in Harada. They journeyed from Harada and camped in Makelot. They journeyed from Makelot and camped in Tachat. They journeyed from Tachat and camped in Tarach. They, they journeyed from Tarach and camped in Mitcha, Mitka. They journeyed from Mitka and camped in Chashmona. They journeyed from, there are 42 journeys, I should tell you. They journeyed from, which is also the answer of, to life, according to um, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. They journeyed from Chashmona and camped in Moserot. They journeyed from Moserot and camped in Bineyakon. They journeyed from Neyakon and camped in Har, Har Hagidgad. They journeyed from Har Hagidgad and camped in Yatbasa, they journeyed from Yatbasa and camped in Avrona. They journeyed from Avrona and camped in Etzion Gever. They journeyed from Etzion Gever and camped in the desert of Tzin, which is Kadesh. Aha! Kadesh is where they sent the spies. That was. didn't end well. They journeyed from Kadesh and camped in Mount Har at the edge of the land of Edom. Aaron the Kohen ascended Mount Har at the Lord's bidding and died there. This is when Aaron passed away on the first day of the fifth month. The Torah now tells us when he passed away. So it would be Nisan, Ir, Stephen, Tammuz, Av. Wow, look at that. That's crazy. He passed away Rosh Chodesh Av. You should know that Rosh, the first day of Av, 
The first day of Av is this Shabbat. So this Shabbat is going to be Aaron, the Kohen, Aaron, the high priest's yard site. See that? Oh this Shabbat. Right. This Shab, this Shabbos, the first yeah, of which, yeah. Aaron. Oh, how many years? Oh, how many years? One second, one second. I'm going to tell you right now. He passed away. Here. Um, we are in the year 5781 minus 2488. What do you have? 3293. I'm just doing, I have a calculator on my, on my computer. Up. Oh, 3293 years. Wow. That's a big yard site. That's. That's a big yard site. So Aaron passed away this Shabbat, first day of Av. So Aaron the Kohen ascended Mount Har, uh, at Lord's bidding, and died there on the first day of the fifth month, in the 40th year of the children of Israel's exodus from Egypt. So I did the math like this. The children of Israel left in the year 2448. 40 years later is 2488. So 5781 minus 2488 equals the number that I gave you before. Let's continue. Aaron was, how old? Yeah. One, one thing. Sure. Uh, in my Rashi, it doesn't say by the by the word. It says uh, Aaron died. Uh, uh, it says by. It says he died by the mouth of Hashem. Yeah. This is, this teaches us that he died through a kiss. Yeah, right. Because thank you for sharing that. Thank you. That's a beautiful, beautiful idea. In the English that we have here, it says Lord's bidding, which is a very. Um, generalized translation of Al-Pi Hashem, which literally means by God's mouth. So usually by one's mouth means by their instruction, but by their bidding. But in this case, Rashi says it literally means by the mouth of God that it was a divine kiss. Which, by the way, just to explain that, a kiss, I was actually studying recently a, a mystical text, and it spoke about the Kabbalah of a kiss. Right? There's different forms of of, of intimate um, actions, and one is a kiss. What's, what's the deeper meaning of a kiss? So a kiss, right, mouth to mouth, is there's breath, a connection of breath from one person to the other person, right? And that is kind of, and breath represents the soul, represents life itself. So a kiss is really an exchange, I don't know if it's an exchange as much as a connection of the core energy, the spiritual energy of two individuals. In this case, when it says that Aaron passed away by divine kiss, what that really means is, again, on a conceptual level, on a spiritual level, is that God almost um, reclaimed, right? God's spirit reclaimed Aaron's spirit, right? The two spirits touched, and Aaron's spirit left his body to become, once again, um, surrendered, or not surrendered, but, uh, but dissolved, if you will, into the source. Anyway, it's a beautiful, beautiful um, description. In fact, we've, I think we've discussed this before, that Moses, upon witnessing Aaron's passing, said, I want to pass away like this. Like, I wish that my passing would be as peaceful and as pure and as, you know, spiritually um, uh, powerful as, as my brothers. And God says, your, wishes, your wish will be granted. All right, back inside, let's, let's see how old Aaron was when he passed away. So the Torah tells us, verse 39, that Aaron was 123 years old when he died at Mount Har. Now let's continue. The Canaanite king of Arad, who dwelt in the south in the land of Canaan, heard that the children of Israel had arrived. They journeyed from Mount Har and camped in Zalmona, 
Tsalmona. They journeyed from Tsalmona and camped in uh, Punan. They journeyed from Punan and camped in Ovot. They journeyed from Ovot and camped at the ruins of Abarim on the Moabite boundary. They journeyed from the ruins and camped in Divon Gad. They journeyed from Divon Gad and camped in Almon Deblataima. They journeyed from Almon Deblataima and camped in the mountains of Abarim in front of Nebo or Navoi. They journeyed from the mountains of Abarim and camped in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho. This is it. Or maybe this is it. They camped along the Jordan from Beit Yeshimot to Avel Shittim in the plains of Moab. That's it. I mean, that's not it, it. We're just starting the first, starting the, the Torah portion here, the second of the two Torah portions. But that's it as far as the journeys. That, this was the last journey to the Promised Land. I, I am going to reserve a lot of things that I want to say right now on this because tonight's class is all about the journeys. Tonight's Torah Studies class is all about the 42 journeys that we just read about. And it's an unbelievable class. And I believe so. I hope, I hope you'll agree with me after tonight's class. And it's super powerful. So I'm not, I don't, and there's, it involves Rashi, it involves Kabbalah, it involves psychology, it involves every therapy, it involves everything. So it's got, it's got the, full, the full suite of insight it's happening tonight at 7.30, Torah Studies on Zoom. Check your local listings for the channel. It's on the website, intownjewishacademy.org. So I'm just saying this because I'm going to go a little bit lighter on the commentary right now because there's a lot that I want to share tonight, and it is what it is. I don't usually do. If you want to find out more, you have to come to another class. But nonetheless, in this case, I'm reserving that for um, a deeper dive tonight. And so, fine. So a few things just to point out. Huh? It's called a teaser. Yeah, listen, I'm not, I'm not in the whatever. Torah is meant to be studied and not necessarily teased, but nonetheless, I'm just saying pragmatically, just practically, it makes more sense for, for to, to do it fully and to do it right tonight. Um, one thing to keep in mind is that it's kind of cool here to see all the, all the different places, right? You see the 42 journeys, 42 steps from Egypt to the doorstep knocking on the doorstep of Israel. It's kind of cool, and it kind of, even at, as the student of Torah, the, the, right, you and I are studying Torah right now, so we're, we know that we got here. We know, we had read, the, read the Torah up until now. Yeah, they were traveling, they were moving, or whatever, but it's kind of cool to kind of have this retrospective and get us reminded of, okay, where we came from, where we are, ready to go. What's the next step? So tomorrow we'll pick it up, and we will talk about some commandments that God tells Moses about the land and what to do when you get in the land and about the borders of the land. This is, we're going to describe the borders of Israel tomorrow and all sorts of fun. So that's all tomorrow. What are the lessons from today's, from today's um, reading? Let me just quickly look. Number one, it's good to have a safety valve or a safety net in the case of the two tribes that wanted to sell outside of Israel, Moses says, I'm going to give you a chaperone. I'm going to chaperone y'all to make sure that you, don't, <laughs> that you don't flake out on your obligation. You need to go into Israel and fight. And we have a tribe that I know will fight, and they're going to make sure that you do it. So number one, it's good to fight for Israel. 
I don't mean like only, literally, although also, but I mean it's good to yearn. It's good to the holy land is the holy land, and we have our hearts have to be there. Otherwise, we're too comfortable with the with the mundane. We have to strive for it. That's number one. Number two, if we know that we're vulnerable, it's good to have a safety check. It's good to have a buddy system, right? Yeah, you know, when you go out to, uh, I'm not recommending to go out and drink necessarily. I'm just saying that if somebody goes out to a bar, it's good to have a designated driver, right? It's like, if I can't drive, all right, we got a designated driver. We have a designated Israel lover. Moses says, Make sure you have a designated Israel lover and fighter in the tribe of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, so that you will not give in to temptation. Um, or like, well, maybe we'll fight. Eh, you know what? It's comfortable here, blah, blah, blah. That's one point that we talked about. Another point that we talked about was, I'm just trying to recall what we did, but you can always um, replay on the podcast. Um, but what else? What else? What else? Did we speak about, we spoke about the journeys. Okay, good. To be continued. Make sense? Any questions, comments? Thank you, Rabbi. My pleasure. My pleasure, Sarah. Thank you. All right, let's, let's, uh, let's formally um, close it out. Ray, Sandrine, Donna, Matt. Sarah, great to see you. Sandrine, enjoy Paris. Enjoy France. New Pittsburgh. Thank you. I'm enjoying Pittsburgh. Yes, I'll be here till please God tomorrow afternoon. We'll be back. I'll be back in Atlanta for tomorrow night's resurrection class. And what else can I tell you? Tonight is Torah studies at 7:30 on Zoom. Be there or be square. You don't want to be square. I don't think anyone says that. So the phrase itself may be square at this point. Um, what else? I think that's it. Okay. Kabbalah in person Sunday, but I think I think that group is aware. Kabbalah and yes, uh, yeah, the email's about to go out. I know I, I keep on threatening it, but it's about check your in, inboxes. If you're on the email list, check your inboxes. It's gonna hit. It's gonna hit super soon. Can you give us a link for tonight. Um, yes, it's on the website, but I will send you an email. I will send you an email with a link. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Thank you. We'll see you all. Have a great day. Thank you very much. Bye. We'll see you. Bye. Thanks.